Welcome to The Gailey Show, where we celebrate LGBTQ culture and entertainment right here in Minnesota and beyond. Plus the latest in LGBTQ entertainment headlines just for you. I'm your host, JP Darabagosian. Part of our goal here with this show is to introduce you to upcoming books by LGBTQ authors. And to that end, I got to talk with Suzette Mullen about her upcoming memoir, The Only Way Through is Out, which started as a tiny love story she published in the New York Times Modern Love series. Here's my conversation with Suzette. Hello, Suzette. Welcome to The Gailey Show. Thanks for having me, JP. Absolutely. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your upcoming book. So why don't you kick us off and tell us more about The Only Way Through is Out. Yes, thank you. So The Only Way Through is Out is a memoir, and Mm -hmm. it's about my story of being raised to play it safe. And the result of that was a pretty darn good life. I had a solid marriage, two young adult sons, and um, an Ocean View vacation home. I had a pretty darn nice life. Um, But when I confronted my deeply buried feelings for my female best friend, everything kind of blew up, as you can imagine. And I was forced to choose between that safe and comfortable life I had built for years and a terrifying leap into an unknown future. So I view the only way through is out as a call to action for every human who's longing to live authentically but is afraid of the costs. And it's a reminder that it's never too late for a new beginning. Absolutely. That's so, I'm really looking forward to reading about this. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. And it started as a um, modern love story, right, in the New York Times? Well, I had been working on, um, I had been living, living the story and um, began working on it. And I, um, I was fortunate enough to pen a tiny love story, which is part of the modern love column. It's 100 words you have to tell an entire story, love story in 100 words, a beginning and middle and an end, which is a a real challenge um, for yes. a writer. And so I was fortunate that I had that um, tiny love story published in the New York Times as I was in the process of writing the memoir. And um, it was a nice it was a nice credential to have as I went out into the world querying my book. Absolutely. And is there access to that still on the New York Times website? Yes, yes. Um, and there absolutely is. Um, I believe the title that they, um, well, if you Google Suzette Mullen, my name, and um, New York Times Tiny Love Story, and nobody knows I'm a lesbian, um, that <laughs> will pop up. That's, uh, a, there's, there's, there's a scene in my memoir that will elaborate on um, that title, Nobody Knows I'm a Lesbian. And uh, yeah, so that that will pop up um, and you can you can still access that for sure. Fantastic. And how do folks pre-order The Only Way Through is Out? The best way is for them to go to my website, um, yourstoryfinder.com slash books, and they can find all the links to all the retailers, um, or they can just put my name in and um, they can pre-order at their favorite bookseller. I love it when people use their independent bookstores, but 
I'm agnostic, frankly. If you want to buy, pre-order my book wherever you would like to. It's available everywhere. So part of the th- part of the themes in your book is about starting over at midlife. So could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, many midlife is a time when people typically take stock of their lives. Um, whether you were a parent and then you're an empty nester, or you're thinking of wrapping up one career and doing the next, and that is exactly where I found myself at midlife. My youngest, um, I have two sons, my young, youngest went off to college and I was, I was in discernment about what was my next chapter going to look like. And let's just say there were some surprises that I did not anticipate. Um, one of which was um, coming to terms with my sexuality and um, coming out and eventually leaving a long-term marriage. So I had a lot of changes personally, um, and also professionally, um, because one of the things that I've learned is that when you're living authentically in one aspect of your life, it spills over to the other aspects of your life. So I, um, I was doing some freelance editing and writing, but I really went all in with my book coaching. So um, I'm now a book coach yeah. who helps LGBTQ plus memoir writers um, get clear on their stories, raise their voices, write their stories and become published authors. So that all happened around the same time. So let's just say my mid 50s was was quite a um, a volatile and exciting uh, period of time with at times a bit too much excitement. You also talk in the book about silver divorce. Um, so given that you had your divorce, uh, well, I mean, tell us more about silver divorce and what that meant for you and how it looked in your life. Yeah, so that's a term that um, I was only vaguely familiar with before um, I, I was actually experiencing it myself. And it, it sometimes you'll hear it, gray divorce, silver divorce, um, really, which refers to the color of most people's hair when they um, are approaching <laughs> midlife and beyond. Um, and certainly when you're going through a divorce, you get more and more gray hair um, or silver hair uh, for, for sure. Um, <laughs> I was really, I was surprised to learn. And frankly, I learned most of this after I'd written a draft or two of the book. um, But, and when I was thinking about my audience for the book. So obviously I have an LGBTQ plus audience, both people who are in the community and people who are questioning their sexuality. But I also have a midlife audience and um particularly women at midlife. And I saw this whole audience of women who were in in this sort of midlife period. They were overwhelmingly the people who were initiating. In, this is, again, I'm speaking in terms of mixed gender marriages, male, you know, mm-hmm heterosexual marriages, let's put it that way, um, women overwhelmingly are the ones who are initiating the divorces um, in this at midlife. And um, so what I discovered is I was absolutely not alone in this. I also discovered that I had much more capacity to do my life on my own than I would have ever guessed. I I was frankly terrified. I had been with my then husband 
since I was 22 years old, married at 25, my entire adult life, I'd had a partner. And here I was in my mid fifties and contemplating living on my own for the first time, let alone um, with a different sexual identity and all the things. So um, it was a lot, but I discovered that I was braver than I thought I was. And I had a lot more capacity to do my own life and take agency in my own life than I had, I had thought early on. That's amazing. What advice would you give to folks who are in a similar situation than you, that you were when this started? Yeah. So speaking about the uh, sex, coming out, coming to terms with your sexuality later in life, uh, specifically, well, Everyone has to have their own journey on their own timetable. But my advice is twofold. One is find community however you can. I, in, in The Only Way Through is Out, I speak of an amazing online community that I uh, really drew upon. They were a lifeline for me. So wherever you can find community in person or online, find it because you will need it. And because the people in your life before many of them may not understand and may not be supportive. Um, so find, find community. And then the second piece of advice is at the end of the day, you have to listen to yourself. I wanted somebody else to tell me what was the right thing to do. I lo was looking outside of myself for answers. And I mean, it may sound like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. The answers are inside you. And so to be to be quiet, to be present, and really listen to what your your body, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, that that inner voice is is saying to you, and then find the courage to take action on it. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. The book is The Only Way Through is out. Suzette Mullen, thank you for coming on to The Gailey Show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Again, you can pre-order The Only Way Through is out through our bookstore. Go to bookshop.org slash shop slash thisqueerbook. Follow Suzette on Facebook. She is at Suzette Mullen Author, and she is at Your Story Finder on Instagram. Looking back at the past year, Minnesota-based Gary Eldon Peter published his first novel, The Complicated Calculus and Cows of Carl Paulson. That's a mouthful. It was named one of the most young, it was named one of the best, rather, young adult books by National Public Radio and won the Minnesota Book Award for Young Adult Literature. Here's my conversation with Gary. Hello, Gary. Welcome to The Gailey Show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Today. So this is your debut novel, The Comp Complicated Calculus of Cows of... Carl, I've practiced this, all those C's. I, I can't even say reporters. it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I wrote the book and I can't say it. So don't feel bad. So the complicated calculus and cows of Carl Paulson. Very this is good. Your debut novel. Congratulations on all of the success for it. Uh, a lot of awards, Minnesota Book Award. And as we're looking back as a retrospective over the past year, I definitely wanted to highlight for our readers, the holiday season shopping is still going on, folks. So you need to buy this novel. Novel. Gary, why don't you tell us what it's about? Sure. Um, well, the novel, it's, it's a YA novel. For, it's a young adult novel. Um, 
But I always want to add, anybody can read it. You don't have to be a young adult to enjoy the book um, and get any get something out of it. Um, there's a lot of discussion about should adults read YA novels and all of that. And I say absolutely read whatever you want. Um, so, I, But I do think it's a book that I, I like because what we call crossover appeal. Um, to both young adults and adult readers. The novel is, is basically, it's, it's kind of coming of age. It's about um, a 15-year-old growing up on a, a very economically stressed and struggling dairy farm. Um, he is an um, uh, oldest child. He has a, a younger sister who's a toddler, and he and his father um, are trying to uh, keep the farm going. The farm is an, a legacy of Carl's mother, who's passed away, who and it kind of came through her family. And uh, so there's a lot of um, conflicts there about do we keep the farm going as sort of a in memory of the the wife and the mother, or do we do something else? Um, so that's one thread of the novel. And the other thread is uh, Carl as a um, as a as a, being gay and what that means for him and his place in the community. And uh, his world is kind of shaken up when there's sort of a new kid in town um, who uh, he develops a pretty strong crush on and not sure what Andy, who's the other uh, character, the boy, what his feelings are. And there's some um, uh, ambiguity on his part and trying to figure all of that out. So those are really the two ideas in the novel is this um, uh, living on the farm, making that work, and also what to make of this new potential love interest that, that comes into his life. So um, I also just want to say one, one important thing about the character is he is very much... Um, it's, it's not a story about am I or am I not gay. That's not really the point. It's more... Uh, him knowing who he is and understanding that, but trying to understand how that fits into who he is in his family and his community and relationships and, and just trying to understand his, um, yeah, his, his uh, you know, where he fits into the world, really. Yeah. From my perspective, I find YA Lit to actually be the most exciting area of LGBTQ literature right now. I think that there's some really revolutionary and exciting things happening in that space that we haven't had before. So I always recommend to folks to read what's happening in YA Lit. It's very exciting. It's also uh, the biggest of book sales. I was just reading a report on this. The biggest, the growth of LGBTQ fiction sales, which have been skyrocketing despite mm -hmm. the book bans over the past few years, has been coming in YA fiction. And there's a reason for that, folks. So definitely check out this novel. I am curious, where did the idea for it, the story, come from for you? Well, I, I worked on this book for uh, years, <laughs> um, and it's surprising because um, the book itself is really a pretty short novel. It's, it really is, is um, very um, compact, I think is how various reviewers and readers have described it um, in a good way hopefully. Um, I, I really wanted to write about a rural setting. I, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, um, but I had relatives who had farms. Um, my father in particular grew up on a farm, um, and that my grandparents' farm, which is really my, my grandmother's farm because my grandfather passed away um, before, well before I came along. Um, I really love the idea of setting a book on a, on a farm. Um, 
and what it would provide for me in terms of the landscape. And um, also just, I was really taken with the idea, and I saw this in my father's upbringing as well, that it was a family business. It wasn't just um, a, a place that, you know, was for animals and crops and all of that. It was really something that was was there to sustain the family and, and to uh, make a living from. And and so I really liked, uh, wanted to bring in a, a, a have that be part of the story that yeah. that not only did you have sort of a father son relationship but kind of the even though Carl the main character is you know 15 16 years old he is a business partner with his father and has a significant role to play in terms of what what the future will be um, so that was interesting to me um, and I I started out when I was thinking about the novel and writing it in the very early stages it was going to be more of a I call it um, a James Michener epic, you know, those really like centennial or east versus west or whatever. I don't <laughs> that were like 600 pages long. And I, I really wanted to write um, initially a very big novel that was multi-generational and um, lots of characters and points of view and everything. And um, the more I worked on it, the more it kind of became what it turned out to be, which was a very much more um, time-limited, intimate look at a really specific um, uh, a time in the character's life or, you know, really just a school semester and all that happened during that time and all that he went through. So, um so that's, you know, I, you know the, the story, uh, the, the rural setting was always there, always something I was going to write about. How I got to this particular story, uh, um, you know, and in, in, in what I ended up with took a lot of time, a lot of revision. And, you know, it, that's just how writing works and novels work. They kind of, they tell you what they want to be if you stick with them long enough. And that's, that's sort of what happened. Really, I, I've heard that from the authors that I've talked to over the past few years about how these novels kind of take on a life of their own and tell you where they want to go, which is just fascinating uh, yeah. to me as an essayist where I'm like, no, I know where I want to go <laughs> to have, you know, a novel and characters tell me. I'll be like, oh, that would be really interesting uh, for right now. How can folks connect with you and purchase the novel? Um, well, the novel is, um, uh, you can connect with me through my website, garyeldenpeter.com. Um, and the novel itself is available in kind of all the usual venues. Um, I tend to try to steer people towards independent bookstores, um, since they have always been supportive of me and my career and my yes, work. Please. So, um, you know, those are good options. Um, uh, uh, bookshop.org, which is a really good way to buy books online and support independent bookstores is an option. Um, the publisher itself, uh, Regal House Publishing, um, they love it when people go directly to them to buy books from them. Um, so those are some options. I, I also want to mention that um, the book is now available as an audiobook. It came out oh, wow. um, in mid-October as an audiobook, and that's really an exciting form to have it be in if people are um, interested in that. Um, the the narrator uh, is a very prolific voice uh, actor named Maxwell Glick, who does tons of voice work. Um, 
books and such, and he did an outstanding job. I was really pleased with how the how the audiobook came out. So that's another um, option as well as the uh, paperback and the ebook. So fantastic, fantastic. I am curious uh, as a as an LGBTQ identified author, how did you find the publishing process? Um, very, very long. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I worked on this book for on and off for, I would say, 20 years. I was working on other things. I have another book, which is a collection of short fiction, which right. came out first. Um, and I was kind of working on them both simultaneously. Um, and yeah, I mean, I sent the book out in various forms um, to agents and publishers and would get some feedback, sometimes get nothing at all. Um, and then I would kind of stop sending it out and just work on it. And um, kind of w- w- what really finally brought it all together in, in uh, I hate to say it in, in any sort of positive way, but it was really the pandemic in the sense that um, really the, um, when we kind of hit that uh, spring of 2020 mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that and lockdown and um, different difficult things in our community that were happening that spring. And, um, you know, that summer was just, I think for me was really challenging. And um, I had a lot like somewhat selfishly, I had a lot of plans that summer, things I wanted to do that all, nothing, all of those went by the wayside. And, um, I decided I really, um, I was going to finish this novel that summer. There was one good thing I was going to do that summer, and that was to finish this novel once and for all and go through it one last time and and give it, give it my best shot. And if something happened with it, great. If it didn't, I would move on. So I really made a concerted effort to, to revise the novel. And, and in, by that, I mean, I rewrote it. I mean, physically rewrote it. Um, beginning to end. And as I did that, everything, the story kind of really kind of coalesced and things kind of dropped away. And I thought, here, I really feel like I'm getting at what the essence of this is. And maybe this is finally happening after a lot of other revising. Um, and so by the, by the end of that summer, I had a pretty good draft. I thought, I think I'm going to try this. I'm going to send it out. So my publisher, Regal House, had a open competition for a young adult book. And by then I thought, I think this is what I have. Um, I think this is, is a young adult novel. And um, so I was, I'm going to send it to this contest and um, hope for the best. Maybe, maybe I'll get some feedback. Maybe I'll be a semifinalist or maybe I'll hear nothing. You know, all, all things could be possible. Um, so I sent it to them and I ended up winning the competition. Um, and that's how the book got published was through Regal House, a really excellent independent publisher. And, um, so I, I, I guess kind of, that's sort of a long answer to your question, but I, I think in terms of publishing, it just takes time and it takes, um, a lot of luck. It takes finding the right publisher that, see something in your work that maybe another publisher doesn't, or there's a fit there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, um, you know, very mysterious process over which you don't have a lot of control other than to keep at it. And beyond that, you can't control much. And, um, I, I tried for a number of years to get a literary agent to represent me in my work Mm -hmm. and, 
would come close and then it never quite came together. And then shortly after I won the Minnesota Book Award, um, a really excellent agent reached out to me and said, I read your work. I send me whatever you're working on. I'd love to read your first book. So um, we had a lot of conversations. And now after many, many years of trying, um, I have an agent finally. And all because they, they, they came to me, which is highly unusual. Usually it's the other way around. But so you just never know. You never know what's going to happen with publishing. You never know um, who's reading your work. Um, you, you know, the more you try to predict it, the, the less it's likely to happen. It's just, um, yeah, there's that expression, all it takes is one, you know, all it takes is one person to like your work and believe in it enough to publish it and promote it. So yeah. that, that, that was really my story with publishing. It was a lot of, it was a long, long haul, um, from when I, both my books, when I started them to getting them published was a very, very long process for sure but I well, stuck I'm with glad it. you stuck with it i imagine yeah. the feedback you've been getting from readers has been really positive yeah i have been um yeah the the feedback has has been really great and and it's always nice when you hear from from readers and um you know getting good reviews and awards and all of that is wonderful obviously that's what every writer wants but um, when you hear from a reader you know that finds you through your website and emails you and says, you know, thank you for writing this book. Thank you. I feel like you sort of told my story. Um, that's like everything that that's, you know, that, that is the ultimate reward is to know that someone is touched by your work and is reading it. And, and also I know, um, both my books and, um, are in libraries, um, mm -hmm. uh, in the, uh, Carl Paulson's in a, a, a lot of libraries, which is great. So yeah. that, you know, it's good to know that it's, you know, people can find it there, even if they aren't able to go into a bookstore and buy it, it's on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's really um, gratifying yeah. as well. And speaking of work, are you working on a new novel right now? Um, you know, I, it's funny you mentioned essays. I, I'm writing essays now. <laughs> oh, that's, wow. That's sort of, yeah. Um, I, and I kind of, I'm sort of an accidental essayist. I, I, I started writing them because I was uh, working with a publicist for my novel. She really encouraged me to uh, get, get my name and work out there as an essayist in which, you know, you could say, here's my essay, but also here's my other work. And right. so, um, so I started doing that. And I also, um, was, um, from, a the editor of my first book, he was putting together an anthology of essays on place and he was looking for submissions. And so he reached out and said, do you want to, would you be interested in trying to write an essay about place? Um, so I wrote something and, um, really loved it, enjoyed the process of it. And then, um, as far as the other work, I wrote an essay that was very short essay that was in the gay and lesbian review. Um, that came out about the time that my novel came out and a couple other things too, that I wrote. And I found that I, I really enjoyed writing essays. I really, something about that form really, um, uh, was, was, um, 
I don't know. I, I, I found, yeah, I think you mentioned find, you kind of feel like you have a certain space that you're working in. I kind of like that. I like sort of, okay, here's my space and how am I going to fit in what I want to say here? Yeah. And um, so I've been, you know, over this past summer, I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to write ideas for essays and, you know, get some things together. I've been reading a lot of essays. I've been, um, I read, you know, reading the great, uh, best American essays volumes, right. you know, so I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm trying to train myself in a new form and learn more about it. Um, cause I really, it's just really interesting to me. And so I, I don't know if I will at some point try to have a book of essays. I would love to do that. Some sort of, um, collection that is is sort of like a memoir in essays type of thing that's maybe where i'm headed but yeah. for now it's just a form that i'm really interested in and intrigued by so Great. and for yeah. folks to connect with you the best way to do that is through your website yes yep right yep gary eldon com, and um i love hearing from people so yeah. Yeah. Also to stay up to date on this essay collection when it comes out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's a ways to go. <laughs> I, I have a lot of pieces that are kind of all laying on the floor there that I've got to figure out what to do with. But that's that's a fun process as well. It's just being in that sort of stage of um, ideas and play and right. just seeing where, <laughs> where things might go. Yeah. Well, this has been yeah. really lovely. Thank you so much, Gary, for stopping by The Gailey Show. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate um, the opportunity to talk about my work, and this has um, been really wonderful. So thank you. Thank you, definitely. You can order The Complicated Calculus of Cows and Carl Paulson at our bookstore, bookshop.org, slash shop, slash thisqueerbook. Check out more on Gary's website, garyeldenpeter.com. While there, you can find links to his social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota is a charming and really standout theater in the Twin Cities. I had the chance to meet with their new artistic director, Stephen Demena, to learn more about his role and his vision for Park Square. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to The Gailey Show. Good. Thank you for having us. Hey. Absolutely. So tell us about your new role at Park Square Theater and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am the new executive artistic director uh, doing uh, both the artistic side of things and the producing side of things right now. Uh, and uh, very excited about it. Park Square is a theater I started coming to when I was just out of college. I was a BFA student at the University of Minnesota. Oh, wow. And it was then a community theater in Lower Town. And it was a place where a lot of young actors got their start. Mm -hmm. And I would go see my friends who were my recent college graduate friends, go see shows at Park Square and go support them. So it was great to be offered this opportunity to lead Park Square in this new chapter. It's like a full circle moment. Uh, it is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so what is happening right now at Park Square? So right now, uh, we're having our official reopening this weekend on December 15th and 16th with a holiday concert called Holiday Hot Chocolate with T. Michael Rambo and Thomasina Petrus. Uh, and then we're going to start a full season in September of 2024. Park Square's normal seasons always go from September to June, right? So that uh, will begin a full season of plays, three plays and one musical. We will also do our summer murder mystery in July and August. And then between now and then, 
we have this new series we've created called Live at the Square. And it's music events, comedy, open mic nights, family events. It's going to be a bunch of sort of non-traditional theater events to bring new audiences into the building who maybe love to go to a jazz concert but have never gone to a play. Right, Absolutely. And then they come into Park Square and they see, oh, here's this theater that's also doing plays and musicals. Let's come back and see those. That's a really smart idea. Do you have a sense yet of, because I know the season starts in September of 2024, yeah. but do you have a sense of like a sneak preview of what might be coming? I I do know what some of the plays are, but I can't say right now because we're oh, in the process. Stephen. Well, it, it takes I know <laughs> it takes a while to you know book the licensing fees and you know get the talent, and so I don't want to I don't want to promise something that we can't deliver. But um, but it's going to be a good season. It's going to be really fun. Okay. All right. Well, I guess well where where should we go when we want to know when that season is to buy tickets, etc. Sure. You should go to parksquaretheater.org and it'll all be there. What I can tell you about the season is it's a thematic season and the theme of the season is new beginnings. Ooh. And it's plays about redemption, renewal and rebirth. Absolutely. And so all of the plays and the musical will follow that theme. Absolutely. And of course, I have to ask, as the host yeah. of The Gailey Show, yeah. um, any LGBTQ playwrights or creators or themes uh, that you're going to be showcasing at Parks uh, Yes, actually, one of the first plays I'm considering uh, is an LGBTQ playwright, a very prominent comic playwright in the States. Um, and uh, the musical we haven't found yet, but I'm, I'm looking for that because I want Parks Square to be a place where everybody's story is told. Right. And many theaters, you know, have very narrow missions. You know, they tell only certain sort of stories, which is great. It's their, you know, prerogative to do so. But we're big enough, I think, that we can we can include everybody um, as often as possible. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, so you went to the U and then yeah. after the U, where did, where did you go from there? So, uh, yeah, I graduated in the BFA program at the U. I stuck around for a while and got my career going as a freelance director and worked at theaters um, in the Twin Cities. I was an associate artistic director at the History Theater for several years oh. and did many shows there. And then I moved to New York in 94 and have been directing off-Broadway for 25 years and had a very successful career there also taught at NYU. And then in 2018, I wanted a house and a yard. Um, and this is going to sound odd, uh, JP, but I wanted my dogs to have a yard and a house. So I said, I'm going to move back to the Twin Cities where my friends are. And I could continue to freelance and work in New York, but base myself out of here. Absolutely. And then, well, welcome back. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And then Park Square called and I'm like, you know, I could have an artistic home and make an artistic home for other people as well. And that seems to be a nice next chapter for me. Absolutely. The theater has had such a transformative role, I feel, for the queer community, not only in providing like visibility, but also around, you know, rights i think developing rights i feel like it, you know theater hasn't mm. just been you know let's go and see a show and escape from our lives you know theater has played this really fundamental role in helping the lgbtq rights movement and helping yep. shape where we're headed right as a country so what is your take as a director and now as an artistic director on the role that theater can play in transforming communities yeah no i think that's a great question um i think one we could produce the work of lgbtq playwrights and and hire in leadership uh, designers, directors, uh, stage managers, LGBTQ uh, professionals who 
who are in the work in those areas and actors. Um, I think we can do very simple things like have LGBTQ nights at the theater, right? Where we've got a full bar, open up a happy hour, have a nice happy hour, you know, and then see a show. Right. And, Absolutely. you know, like have a teacher's night, have an LGBTQ night, have yeah. different events. I think also in this live at the square series, mm-hmm. it's so open ended. We can do anything. So if an LGBTQ artist yeah. came to me and said, I have this idea, I want to do my one person show or I want to do a kind of dance theater hybrid thing, I would look at that and see if it's something we could fit in, because we're not just going to be doing plays and musicals now. We want all kinds of non-traditional events in here. Mm. Um, and also I'm deeply connected to all these off-Broadway theaters I've worked for. And so, and uh, my agent can send me plays, right? And say, here's a new play yeah. by a, a, you know, a young gay or lesbian or transgender writer, right? Take a look at it. Right? So I'm, I have a pipeline to lots of new work coming out of New York. That's great. And how should folks connect with you if they're interested about folks that? Should, folks should go to parksquaretheater.org. They'll see my email address there and they can send me an email directly comes to me. So I know that you're in your, you know, first part of your tenure here at, at Park Square, but what do you say is your long-term vision? Where would you like to see Park Square go within the, within, well, I guess maybe within the Twin Cities, you know, theater scene, yeah. but maybe larger? Um, I do think that uh, Park Square has had very good success doing world premieres. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to see us do more plays that begin here, but then have a life at other theaters around the country and in New York. Um, I would love to see Park Square be so financially stable. We can take all kinds of risks with our programming and be able to say it's OK if um, we do this show. We don't have to sell 90 percent, but we believe this is a story that needs to be told. Yeah. Right. And, and we're going to take the risk to do it anyway, because we have the financial means to do so. That's fantastic. Well, I'm so thrilled for you. Congratulations on your new role. Parksware is such an amazing, you know, jewel in the theater crown that is, you know, the Twin Cities. And I don't think a lot of folks know that when they come to the cities, the amazing theater history that we have here and the culture of it and the ethic of it. So it's really fantastic to have you at the helm at Park Square. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Park Square's holiday concert, Holiday Hot Chocolate, closes tonight, December 16th. You can connect with Stephen and learn all about their 2024 season by heading to Park Square's website, parksquaretheater.org. Speaking of concerts, there are still tickets available for the Minnesota Orchestra's New Year's celebration with Sondergaard, Rachmaninoff, and Tchaikovsky. We are thrilled to see LGBTQ representation at the orchestra with their new conductor, Thomas Sondergaard. Thomas and his husband moved to the Twin Cities this year as Thomas takes over the Minnesota Orchestra. I can see that they have a really interesting program for Pride next June, but why wait till then when you can ring in the new year with Thomas and the orchestra? Tickets at minnesotaorchestra.org. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Our podcasts are executive produced by Jim Pounds, creative and accounting support provided by Eric Gordy Erickson, rather, production, distribution, and marketing support provided by Brett Johnson and Chad Larson from AM 950. You can find us on social media. Search for This Queer Book Save My Life on Facebook. We're also at This Queer Book on Instagram. You can also find me on Blue Sky if you search for J.P. Darbogosian. For The Gailey Show, check out AM950's YouTube channel and Facebook page. 
As always, you can connect with us through our website, thisqueerbook.com. And if you want to be on the Square Book Save My Life, fill out the form on the homepage. For the Gailey Show, if you have LGBTQ entertainment news with a Minnesota angle, email gaileyshow at thisqueerbook.com. That's G-A-I-L-Y show at thisqueerbook.com. And until our next episode, see you queers and allies in the bookstores. <laughs>